As men, we have to know our enemies. We have to know their strengths and weaknesses. And as Catholic men, we have to work to maintain the right mindset and how to handle the weapons the church has given us. Today, we're going to talk about all of this, as well as the authority the church possesses, the ultimate truth she has received from Christ, and how demons prove this claim. Join us. gentlemen and welcome back to another episode of the catholic gentleman podcast today we're joined by a special guest charles Franny, the author of slaying dragons what exorcists see and what we should know but before we introduce uh charles let's talk about uh supporting the catholic gentleman uh yes we uh love doing this work um and if you have in any way been blessed by it please Perfectly consider supporting us. Um, there's uh, the chief way to do that is on Patreon. Um, we have Patreon.com/slash The Catholic Gentleman, and there's different tiers there. Um, some as little as five dollars a month, um, and going up from there. But the point is, we appreciate your support. Um, this work uh, is a, is very important, and many men have written to us saying how much they've been helped by it. So if you are one of those men uh, who has been blessed by the Catholic gentleman, please consider supporting us so that we can continue this work and even expand it um, according to God's will. So, uh, but back to our guest, Charles Froney. He is an author. He is a theology teacher. Um, he's a backyard gardener. He's a lot of different things, but he wrote a great book called Slaying Dragons, What Exorcists See and What We Should Know. He's written a couple of other books as well. Um, and these, this book is unique in that it is all about uh, exorcisms in the spiritual world um, and how we can defend ourselves against spiritual attacks. So thank you uh, so much for being with us, Charles. Yes, uh, thank you for having me. I've, I've been uh, keeping up with the Catholic gentleman for... I don't know, about 10 years or so. I can't remember when you started. So it's uh, an honor to be on the show. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's not been quite 10 years, but it's, it's getting close. Next year yeah. will be 10 years. Hard to believe. Um, but yeah. So uh, tell us a little bit about what inspired this book. I mean, it's kind of a unique thing in that you're not so much there to expound your own views on things as you are to relate um, the experiences and insights of really kind of the frontline spiritual soldiers, if you will, the exorcists. Yeah, it's, um, as I always say, it's, it's a book I never sought out, I never sought to write. I never planned on writing it. Even when I was in the midst of writing it, I didn't even know it. So it was, um, to make a long story short, because there's, there's so many stories that are within Slaying Dragons and why it's successful, why I wrote it, that could make other books um, on this. But I was, it was like four years ago, I, I hit a point which I like to call a spiritual, a spiritual plateau. I felt like I had hit the, the ultimate point of my holiness, and I could not progress any further. And I was not at all happy about that. I don't know what exactly was happening, but I felt like I'd hit a wall. And um, I, thankfully, as a former seminarian, um, I was a seminarian from in the, the 2000s, that decade, essentially, from 2002 to 2008, um, so I, I got to know a lot of priests. So when I moved to the Diocese of Charlotte, where I was teaching at uh, the high school, uh, as the founding theology teacher there, I was teaching theology to juniors and seniors, I had gotten to know a lot of priests. So I reached out to the, the chaplain and another priest and like uh, explained the situation. Like, I don't know what to do. I've hit the spiritual plateau um, and I don't like it. And he said, well, do Exodus 90 with me. And I'm like, all right. So I'd heard about it and he explained it. And like, that sounds like what I should do. And so I had a boys group I'd started at the high school. So we convinced all the boys to join us. It was the past, the, the chaplain and myself and the, about nine boys, most half of them dropped out, you know, they're high schoolers. And um, so we adjusted the program to fit, fit for them because, and I adjusted it too, because a lot of things are out of my control when it comes to, and I didn't have enough time to do all these exercise routines. So I modified Exodus 90, but I replaced a lot of things with fasting, with more fasting. So I ended up fasting a lot 
And I think I uh, told John when we talked maybe last month that I ended up losing 20 pounds in the three months that I did Exodus 90, which was not my goal at all. And actually, I could not really afford to lose that weight. So I fasted too much, but I was eagerly seeking for some spiritual solution. And it, it was effective so that the three months of fasting and all these other prayers and renunciations and simplifications and other things I was doing with Exodus 90 got me to a point where I approached the priest and I said, is there anything else you can do? I didn't know. So I had a master's in theology, but I didn't know much about spiritual warfare, which is odd. Like how, how did that happen? I wasn't brought up with it. I didn't know how blessings and sacramentals and really the, the true deep power of the sacraments. I didn't understand all that stuff. So, but I sensed from him, I'm like, father, is there, can't you like pray over me, do something? Like, I'm not looking for an exorcism, but aren't there some prayers you can do? And he said, Yes, like there's something we can do. So he led me through something called an interior healing process. And I have this in the back of my new book. I was telling to, telling you earlier, I just published a study guide to slaying dragons. It's called Slaying Dragons Prepare for Battle, Applying the Wisdom of Exorcists to Your Spiritual Warfare. So Slaying Dragons Prepare for Battle is the title in that long subtitle. Um, so but in the back of that book is what's called an interior healing, healing process. And that's what this priest led me through. It was developed by a team of exorcists from, from um, a diocese. and it's uh, so you write a letter to God of all the terrible things that have happened to you that you have done or have mm. happened has happened to you. So that's how you start it. Um, you go to mass or holy hour first, and then you write this. Um, you've already written the letter. It's like, dear God, this is how terrible my life is or has been. And then you go into a chapel all by yourself and you say it out loud where no one else is around, but you, you speak it out loud. And then you put it into an envelope, this letter, and you give it to the priest and he burns it. And then you start from that day, doing an extra rosary for every day you've been alive, every year you've been alive, consecrating that year to Our Lady for her to purify and heal you of all the things that, that have happened during that year. Mm. And then you end it with a novena to Our Lady, undoer of knots. And then you meet with the priest for some minor, you know, just deliverance prayers, praying with you, praying for you, praying over you, walking through all these evil things. And the whole thing is, is called the interior healing process. And I was expect, expecting at the end, like I would feel something great. Uh, I felt nothing. And I thought that was funny that, that I felt no change, but I knew God was doing something. That's why I thought it was funny and not sad. But in the process, I had been introduced to all these exorcists, these um, interviews, like Father Ripperger, he was the first one, all of his interviews online. They Thankfully, the exorcists are speaking out. They're publishing articles, interviews, podcasts. So I started watching his on spiritual warfare. And at the same time, and that was like step two. Step one was the interior. Well, step one was Exodus 90. Step two, that healing process. Step three, studying the exorcists. And they were answering so many questions that I had had for decades and didn't even know. And I was like, kept remarking, like over half of what they're saying, I've never heard before. And I have a master's in theology. How could this be? But I don't really care that I don't know it because I'm excited that I'm learning it now. I was just more excited than anything else. I was taking all these notes just to preserve what I was hearing, uh, getting up at 4.30, watching video after video after video. And at the end, I realized like I have this mass, a massive amount of information here and no one else is going to do this kind of deep dive through all these articles, videos and books and um, so I need to write a book. It was just kind of a spontaneous idea. And I looked at all my notes, like I've got a, I've got it right here. And I've always been a writer since I was like 12. I've been trying to write books for the last, I don't know, 15 years. And then it just happened. And people, when they would read the book, they would have the same reaction that I had, that I just described going through the Exodus 90, the healing process and learning from these exorcists. It would be like, there were all these light bulbs going off, all these aha moments. Like, finally, that makes sense. I've been wondering, like, I've been wondering how that works. And the exorcist can tell us. That's the key. I say, I like to say they see behind the veil. So they, they see the power of sacraments, sacramentals, holy water prayers, the names of saints, the names of Jesus and Mary, the, the relics, the invocation of saints. They see how it works on the spiritual level. And they can tell us, like, that, that's actually a really powerful prayer. You should do it. Like, we're not going to see the fireworks because we're not exorcists. But they're happening on the spiritual level. Like, there's real power. So that's how slaying dragons is kind of, um, I like to say, it was a happy accident of divine providence. But he, he used me to write the book, I think, because I never sought out to do it. Was that the basics? Like, there's a whole lot more, but that's the basics to it. No, that's excellent. Um, 
So you mentioned during the praying those extra rosaries, were you figuring out, um, I don't know how old you were and you did that, but assuming that you had 20, 20 plus, you know, extra days, extra rosaries, mm-hmm. were you experiencing any sort of spiritual fruit uh, within the, that process? Um, you know, the, those actual, you know, spiritual discipline that you had taken upon yourself? Yes. Yeah, so um, one thing you just mentioned was the, the advice for that process is that when you hit certain years, um, like a traumatic year when you're 14 and you're on the 14th year for that rosary, um, you may get sick on that day. Or so you may get some kind of, I guess, retaliation or something may mm. happen. And I didn't experience that, but I know some people have, because I've spoken to people who've done this process uh, since publishing the book. Um, but what it did do, like you said, is this was a, a second rosary. So the typical Christian uh, piety is to pray a rosary every day following, you know, uh, joyful, sorrowful, glorious, repeating that. So this extra rosary, I chose to do the sorrowful every Mm -hmm. morning. First thing after I got up um, with a cup of coffee, do the sorrowful mysteries every day for, I think I was 38 when I did it. So it was 38, 38 days in addition to the normal one. And what I was, I was coming up with all kinds of insights. I had to write down all these insights from praying the sorrowful mysteries every day, but it, was, it wasn't just like, so often I'll pray the rosary on the way to school sure. um, back when I would, would teach, you know, I quit teaching last summer to start this work full time. So now I, I have some room, a room at a church they've let me use um, to do my research and writing. But this was one I would get up first thing, the house is quiet, the world is quiet, I have my coffee and I sit in a comfortable chair and I really meditate really contemplate these sacred mysteries. Hmm. And I think that that kind of intentionality plus the purpose for those rosaries caused a lot of spiritual fruit. Like I said, I didn't see the fireworks at the end of the whole process yeah. that I was expecting. But deep down, there was this like spiritual weeding happening. Like God and his through his blessed mother, through um, our blessed mother was um, eradicating things that I didn't know were there that I couldn't even see. So that when the time came for me to, to learn from these exorcists, I was ready. Like the, the field, the, the soil had been tended to and um, had been stirred. So I had room for new seeds of, of truth to be planted. Um, but a, a deeper appreciation for the rosary, definitely because of that process. Well, I think that's great. And I, I appreciate that. I think um, so one other thing that that you mentioned, just kind of in your explanation of of writing this book, and um, and I know you were a theology teacher, and yeah, and you had reached that point in your life where you decided um, I want something more, and and so you moved away from from teaching and and decided to to write full time, which is great. But something you just stated about how priests see behind the veil uh, reminded mm-hmm. me of um, a podcast I was listening to that had an exorcist priest, um, Father Justin Brady, I think is his name, uh, where he talked about one of the greatest gifts that he's received as an exorcist is just the truth of the church's authority, that he's constantly mm-hmm. reminded of the fact that he invokes Our Lady, he invokes the saints, and um, and he sees the effects they have in the spiritual realm, and uh, and that just has has provided him further and deeper, you know, conviction of the truths that the church uh, maintains. I'd love to hear you talk just a little bit about that, um, you know, that reality that uh, that demons or at least these these exorcist priests. Um, in a way can can show us the proof of the authority and that the fact that the Catholic Church is the church founded by Christ. Yeah, so this this has been something I've contemplated a lot. This is one of the big aha moments, like kind of maybe the the aha behind all of the other um, revelations is that so uh, um, the rite of exorcism is not a sacrament, but it's a sacramental. And it's clearly in the Roman ritual with its own its own piece. And it's it's very um, it's a very elaborate ritual, but it's also some, a, an explicit command given to the apostles. It's one of the chief ministries that our Lord did, raising people from the dead, healing people, casting out demons. Uh, so the fact that it's not a sacrament, mm-hmm. it shouldn't matter. It's a very, very powerful and important sacramental ministry of, of priests. So and it and we see that like the fruit shows us that 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 is true. So one of the, like it's so simple too. When a priest starts an exorcism, so he's he's verified this person is possessed or highly suspects that they are possessed, um, safe to proceed with an exorcism. Puts a stall on, has a crucifix, holy water. The person sitting there with some people around praying, 
And as soon as he starts the rite of exorcism, splashes with holy water, the demon is now called to respond, has to, and does manifest. It's not, it's, it's like, there's no game. The priest can just be, can be very calm. He's actually supposed to not be calm. If you read the rite of exorcism, he's supposed to command with a mm. loud voice at times, like yell at the demon, which I, when I read that, I'm like, wow, this, this is serious business. Mm. Um, you don't see that in any of the other sacramental blessings or the sacraments that the priest is, is supposed to elevate his voice and command, um, talk down to, talk at, yell at this entity. But it works. Like exorcisms, um, it's not ex opere, ex opere operato. But it, it kind of functions in a similar way. The, the demon cannot resist. He might try to hide, uh, to obfuscate, as they say, or to, um, to put up all these facades that he's not actually there. Um, but if a smart exorcist can see through all of those things, that's why it takes experience, too. The priest has to understand what's happening because demons are very crafty. They're very smart. Uh, they know our weaknesses. They know how to play games with us. Um, yeah, so like you mentioned with... Um, with the saints and our lady, they often show up in exorcisms. Almost, I think it's almost every exorcism, our lady or an angel or a saint or all of the above will show up and help the priest, help the possessed person to remove this demon. And Father Ripperker, I have it in my book, um, shared a story of a vision. So I think the possessed man was having a vision towards the end of the, right before the liberation occurred, that our lady entered into his soul or however it works and ripped the demon out of him, out of his body. And then opened up the abyss, hell, and cast the demon down. And then the abyss closed and the possession was over. Just like that. She didn't say anything. She just showed up, ripped the demon out. Demon could not protest at all. Um, demons cannot resist Our Lady in any way, shape, or form because she is made essentially all-powerful against them. She's not you know, all-powerful in herself, but against them, they cannot, they can't, they have no defense. They, they cannot fight back. They're actually absolutely terrified of her. Um, and there's one, uh, really, this is in my book. I can't remember all the details. It's a nice detailed story about um, uh, a relic. So it, it was the relic of St. Thomas Beckett. So apparently the exorcist was dealing with a demon in a certain case. And the demon revealed, I can't remember how it worked out, revealed that he was the demon who inspired the murderers of St. Thomas Beckett. The ones, the king's men who killed St. Mm -hmm. Thomas Beckett were not possessed necessarily, but they were inspired by this demon specifically, who was now possessing this person right in front of this exorcist. And the exorcist figured that out. He called a priest friend of his, I can't remember the priest's name, but he runs a group called Treasures of the Church. I think it's Treasures of the Church about a, a group. Um, he goes around the country, maybe even the world with a whole bunch of relics, sets them up for parishes and churches. I think it's like 150 relics and you can venerate them Been a lot of miracles. So he mm. sent a relic, first class relic of St. Thomas Beckett to this exorcist to use in the exorcism. And when he brought it out, the exorcist said all hell broke loose. This demon knew exactly what, what was there. This was the, the sacred relic of St. Thomas Beckett. And he reacted as if the saint was right there, terrified. And I think it ended the exorcism into the possession, like within a few minutes, I can't remember exactly, but um, yeah, quite a dramatic story. Well, praise God. And I just, I mean, to bookend this thought, it's it's something that only Catholics have. Like we are the ones that are 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 blessed to have this treasury of of the church triumphant. And and to be a part here is the church militant on earth, um, uh, to reach up to them and to and uh, to unite our prayers with their prayers. And I just um I just often am reminded so frequently how blessed I am to be Catholic. And I was, there's an influencer out there today who is um, not, um, he's, he's a strong vocal Protestant. Um, he's got a secular job and, you know, his, his, his worldview is just so different from ours that it just, you know, it rubs me wrong. But at the same time, I'm just mm -hmm. reminded of how incredibly blessed I am to to not have had to struggle with that, um, you know, as, as, as being born and raised Catholic and still, you know, devout Catholic now. So I appreciate you sharing those uh, stories. Yeah. And I think, uh, I think that's one reason why this book has become so popular is that it, it feeds, it's feeding Catholics who, who've been craving like real substantial evidence for their faith. And this is something that's not only real and substantial, but it's also current, like it responds mm. to current events, like we're living in a, in a world overwhelmed with the occult and with um, kind of Satan taking off the mask. So it's, it's very relevant, too. Yeah. Yeah. So um, 
I'm sure your book is packed with stories very similar to that. And if anyone is in kind of intrigued or has their curiosity piqued by just those couple of stories, there's a lot more in the Slaying Dragons book. Um, and one thing I'm curious about too, is like you, you mentioned this um, spiritual healing process that you make reference to in the book and that you went through yourself. That kind of raises a question too, that not all of us are um, able to necessarily consult with an exorcist or not all of us um, need to get to that level. Right. And yet I think a lot of people feel like, Hey, I could use some spiritual healing. Like I've got some wounds, you know, I've got some, some uh, things in my past. So other than this like spiritual healing process, which sounds very powerful. Um, what do you have any advice in the book for people who say like, I want to move beyond just like the interesting stories. Like I want some things that I can apply to my own life. And can you give us a couple of examples of some things that anybody can do aside mm -hmm. from, seeing an exorcist uh, but like things that they, we can all do to kind of experience some of that healing yeah and sometimes uh this goes into another question we've talked about for the show about um avoiding curiosity and things i was talking to a, a priest recently who's an exorcist as well about people leaving the occult like what do priests do what do those people need to know um to really shed that baggage and he one of the things he said was uh caught me by surprise but it makes perfect sense he said well it, it's not rocket science like go to confession. So, so people, people underestimate the power of confession. I have a story I can tell in a few minutes about confession. Um, after I wrote the book, actually yeah, in the process of writing the book. Um, but so confession is super powerful. So a lot of it is the, the intention too. So sacramentals um, can be used in a superstitious way. If you're not careful, holy water, blessed metals, blessed images and all that stuff. But if you don't, if you use them properly, your intention is secured. Like I'm using this as something God has blessed, that God has promised to give spiritual fruit through, that has a spiritual power coming from God that you have. So you have to use it with devotion. That's the key. Sacramentals are used with devotion. So the more you bring devotion into your spiritual practices, the more you will see the fruit, the spiritual healing will just come. So if you uh, just go to confession more often, if you're going to confession like every two or three weeks, uh, even for just venial sins, um, that's going to produce, a, have a big impact, especially if you're doing it intentionally, you're really preparing, um, you're going to mass with great focus. So some of the, the ordinary means of grace, the sacraments, if they're used properly, approached properly, engaged with properly, will produce the spiritual healing. But often what it'll do too is unearth damage, unearth the wounds. You'll see the wounds, you'll see like that obstacle, that spiritual plateau that I hit, you'll realize I am not what I want to be. And while the sacraments and sacra while the sacraments are effective at making us saints, internally we have um, a lack of self gift because of the wounds. So the healing has to happen, and that's part of spiritual warfare. Demons come after the wounds, and they know they're there. The demons can see them better than we can, so they come after those wounds to hold us down, to, to hold us back, and keep us down from by those wounds. But if we get those wounds healed, we will essentially uh, we will gravitate more quickly, more powerfully and more lovingly to our Lord because the wounds are healed and the demons cannot hold us down. They can't, we're like oiled, you know, like the, the imagery of why we use oil for anointing people is like the ancient imagery of using it in wrestling. If you're all oiled up and greased up, they can't, your enemy can't hold you because you slip right out of their grasp. So if you're healed, the devil can't hold you because you slip out of his grasp. And that's what will happen from a really devout approach to being Catholic. And then, so I would say, you know, Go to confession and mass appropriately, just like we were talking about now, and then bring in all the sacramentals. Study them. In my book, I talk about sacramentals. I think chapter 10 is protecting your spiritual life. It's 50 pages. It's almost a third of the book. It's all about uh, prayer practices, fasting, prayer, meditation, rosary, Our Lady, and all the sacramentals, all the big sacramentals. Not all of them. There's so many, like 140, I think, sacramental mm, wow. blessed items that you can use. Yeah, so many most people don't see anymore or even know about. But and read what the blessings are in the, in the Roman ritual. Uh, Exorcist and I'm a big proponent of the traditional Roman ritual, not the modern book of blessings. The traditional Roman ritual, if you read those, the wording, it's so powerful. 
and it's spiritual warfare focused. It's anti-diabolical, as I like to put it. And they all promise God is going to give you through the devout use of that item blessed by the church, health of soul and body. So health, uh, that's healing right there and protection from um, the evil one and an increase in the theological virtues and all, all these great effects. Um, so if we use those, um, that, that'll, that'll do it. And then the exorcists talk about Our Lady of Sorrows and Our Lady Undoer of Knots, uh, yeah. the chaplet of Our Lady of Sorrows. I started doing that because that was promoted by Father Ripperker and some other exorcists too. Um, as having, if you approach Our Lady through that devotion, she who saw our Lord's suffering was given so many graces and authorities can apply those to our spiritual life in a, in a way that brings about healing, reveals what our wounds are, reveals what the diabolical attacks are, and gives us the strength and the surrender to God through Our Lady to have those things dealt with properly. And you got to clear out all these obstacles so that we can, uh, you know, fly straight uh, to Christ. And I think there's so much more you could say too, but sometimes people want like some kind of, and this is a, this is a danger that leads a lot of people to the occult. They want some secret answer, something they've never heard before, but mm -hmm. it's, it's, that's not the answer. It's the ancient faith as it's always been taught done properly. That's what creates all these super saints, as I call them, St. Catherine of Siena, St. Teresa of Avila. They lived the Catholic life fully and with super devotion. And I say, that's the key. Yeah, and that, that, so just to clarify, and like, I think this is an important point, but I've heard from people, there's been times in my own life where I've, I've fallen into this, but I've heard from others as well, you know, where I have these wounds, I have these problems, I have these habits, I have different things that are, I'm, I want to be free of, mm -hmm. um, and I prayed my rosaries. I've gone to confession compulsively. Like I go to mass daily and yet I'm, I'm still, I still can't get over this. I still can't break this, the power of this in my life, things like that. And so it sounds like what you're saying is that there might be a interior attitude or approach or disposition that might be um, like what they're doing, objectively speaking, is right, but the way they're approaching it may not be. Yeah, so that could be a component, certainly. And that, I think, is why like the interior healing process has you look back across your whole life. That's one of the things I was prompted to do. And I wrote a book uh, while I was writing Slaying Dragons. I wrote a book for the youth called Swords and Shadows. I gave a talk to a diocesan youth conference on spiritual warfare and in the process, I, I spent four months looking over my whole life, knowing all these new things from doing the research for Slaying Dragons. And I wrote a talk and then a book where I examined my whole life and all the things that I was doing wrong and the devil was taking advantage of, holding me back, creating all this baggage, all these obstacles. So we really do have to surrender our whole life. And I think the interior healing process approach is good for that. Um, because we've we've compromised with the devil in the past in small ways and big ways uh, through all of our sins. Those are all compromises with evil. Even attitudes are compromises with evil and they all leave a residue, spiritual residue in our soul, lingering doubts. So I really think intense introspection in a state of deep devotion is one thing people need to do. So I, one of the things I was taught early on after my conversion, when I was 20, I had a huge conversion, was to journal. So for 10 years, I kept a nearly daily journal and the journal was almost like, you know, dear Lord kind of structure. Mm. Um, not like these are my feelings, but, or this is what happened today, but this is what I'm desiring. This is what I think God is doing. This is what I think is true. This is what I want. This is what I remember. And I don't like, these are my weaknesses, my struggles. Um, these are dreams. I had all of that deep introspection, I think really helped with this. Of course I was coming, my conversion was, um, as was coming after a, a deep depression and anxiety problem, which almost destroyed me when I was late high school, early college. Then I had a miraculous conversion, really. Um, so I needed the I needed the healing. So I had a lot of healing. So the, the ten years of chasing the priesthood, as I call it, when when God wasn't calling me, He let me chase the priesthood because I found a lot of healing along the way. Mm. Met all these great priests, the great programs, learned about great saints. I uh, went through all these formation things. Like I was spoiled spiritually through that that seminary program for um, off and on. I was not in it continuously for the for the whatever eight or nine years it was. 
Um, and then also, I think a lot of things that we don't do anymore. So what you just said, yes, that, that in, interior attitude, but also like, I'm guilty of this too. Even after writing the book, like fasting, like, I do not fast nearly enough. I'm very, I, I like chocolate. I, I like ice cream. And th that, those are not bad things. You know, those are the precursors to the heavenly joys, hopefully. But if you do it too much, you become soft, you become weak, you become attached to the created thing, you become unwilling to suffer, um, unwilling to wait. And God wants us to wait. So he, like a lot of good gifts God gave me, he made me wait for like a decade or more for them to just, and I look back and like, wow, I was tortured for that decade, mm -hmm. waiting for God to answer me. And he did, he did. Like it took nine years or 10 years for him to answer a question I had for that long. Um, but that's part of it. And I think we're, we just don't want to do that hard stuff like waiting and self-discipline and self-denial and that, that gets in the way. Yeah, for sure. No, I appreciate that. And I appreciate your personal testimony. I do want to pause here for men who are listening. If you are interested and excited about this stuff, apart from sure purchasing the book, Sam, none of us are spiritual directors here. And I would not encourage you to just jump in and do what Charles is doing. I would definitely seek out an Orthodox um, priest, um, a, a spiritual director of, of sound um, theology and, uh, and and discuss this uh, with them before diving into some of these practices because you were, remind me of instances in my life when I didn't have that and I was praying for an increase mm -hmm. of suffering in my life and I was not prepared <laughs> for it so my life was miserable and I was miserable to be around <laughs> and uh, and right. um, and I'll also say I remember uh, listening to Father Ripperger once uh, mentioning on, a, on one of his talks that you know us as as husbands and fathers, he was talking about families and fathers uh, being able to bind uh, spirits for ourselves mm -hmm. and for our spouses and for our children. But then he also cautioned you that if you're going to go around and start binding other spirits, you're opening yourself up to a spiritual attack. And he's like, and if you are not mm -hmm. devout in your prayer life, not devout in your your rosary and in your fasting and, and in your um, relationship with Christ, first and foremost, you're you're opening yourself up to a pretty miserable um, reality day to day. And, um, and so we, we want to be uh, protected with that. So I just want to take a step back here and now ask to get a little bit more practical and things like that. I'm sure a lot of our listeners don't know the forms in which uh, demons can influence our lives. Um, I'd love to hear from you kind of the common form, obviously, in temptation being one of the three, you know, um, uh, struggles and, and, and sufferings in this life. Uh, being the world, the flesh, and um, and demons from that point um, all the way up to um, possession. And if you could kind of mm -hmm. balance it on on how how difficult a possession is to get to, but also um, how the church doesn't assume that you know um, any and all sort of struggles in your life, as Father Ripperger I know said, uh, that Satan's not under every mm -hmm. rock, and we get people who have this sort of like. Uh, you can do the pendulum swing into that direction. So, but if we could start with just some of the very basics that, you know, the, the church has laid forth and us as men should, you know, have a, a, um, a general or peripheral uh, awareness of. Sure. Yeah. I remember that comment. Uh, I think it's in my book that the devil's not under every, uh, not under every rock, but he might okay. be under every other rock <laughs> was the, the, the second thing. I'm yeah. like, okay, that's, that's because the, the world of flesh and the devil, um, the world is corrupt because it's it's under the dominion of evil. It's under the dominion of the evil one. And the flesh is corrupted because we surrendered to Satan and rejected God. And then we experience the wounds and we have that handed on through original sin. And then, of course, the devil and the um, his his uh, army of evil. So the world, the flesh and the devil, the three major forms of uh, temptation. But so that's the first thing. Everybody. Uh, suffers from temptation every day. I don't know. I've, sometimes I give these these talks. I'm like, is it is it every minute, every hour? Um, <laughs> I don't feel like I'm tempted at all times. You know, yeah. there are there are small temptations and there are strong temptations. And um, one exorcist said it's in my book. I can't remember who that uh, it's almost impossible to distinguish your own thoughts from a temptation. So that's why I developed the practice after writing the book of just whenever I felt tempted, I would just assume this is safe for me. I wasn't becoming like uh, uh, scared. So some people might not want to do this because I think they might get scared that the devil's everywhere. But I would just assume that a devil, a demon was behind the temptation and I would do a binding prayer and move on. 
Uh, the moving on part is key because the yeah. exorcists always encourage us, don't get hung up on whether there's a devil, a demon around. Don't get hung up on the fact that you're being tempted. Like a demon may be there, sure, but Christ is not allowing him to attack you. He's invisible. He's just whispering thoughts into your mind. Ignore them and go about your day and just pretend the demon's not there. Because if you think about the demons too much, you're going to be scared or miserable or just like, uh, you know, diagnosed with some psychological disorder eventually. So we, we want to be prudent, calm, cautious, trusting in our Lord who can just squish the demons by by just doing anything. Um, also, Our Lady and the Saints, so we're well protected. But so temptation is always happening. And this is one of the things that I was thinking during our previous talk that we need to be constantly aware. So like, even while I don't have good fasting sometimes, or I'm too indulgent with ice cream, one of the things that is on my mind all the time is how am I reacting to my kids? How am I thinking? How am I reacting to my wife? Um, how am I spending my time? Like what is happening internally? Like there's a whole bunch more in your soul than just whether you're attached to goods and whether you're, you're fasting. So, cause all those things can be sins or virtues. You can be building virtues all the time even without fasting, or you could be building vices. And those are going to make the temptation experience um, more intense or less intense. The holier you are, it's going to be a very different experience. If you're a vicious person full of vices, then the devil's going to really like treat you like a, like a puppet. Yeah. Um, so after temptation, you get, and they're called stages of diabolical influence, but they're not necessarily progressive. They can be progressive. The chief one being possession. Possession, very rare. Um I heard a recent statistic from an exorcist. It seems to be like anywhere from one to 5% of cases that come to them are actual cases of possession. So that's cases that come to them. There are a lot of people. So we don't, it's very, very rare still, but they're saying all this stuff is on the rise right now because of the fascination with the occult, the widespread mortal sin, the irreligious practices, the rejection of God, among other things. So I guess you say the, the next one would be uh, diabolical obsession. Father Ripperker okay. said that, uh, he, from his estimation, he said that 25% of um, the U.S. population was diabolically obsessed. So that's like a really strong temptation, almost to the point, I think there are degrees. So it seems like the some of the strongest forms of obsession are hearing voices, hallucinating, all mm. from diabolical prompting. But it can be like a it's a bombardment of thoughts that are almost out of your control um, that really just can potentially destroy your life. But he said 25% of the population is suffering from that. I think that I was suffering from some form of diabolical obsession as a result of my youth, which was very sinful. I dabbled in the occult a little bit, the intense depression that almost destroyed me. All those things can cause wounds. And then you make compromises with evil, like I was mentioning earlier. And I experienced a liberation from some sort of oppressive spirit, to be honest, mm. in the process of writing this book and applying everything. And that's, a, that's another story that was tied to that confession story I mentioned earlier. It all started with a confession that led to this little small-scale liberation that really changed my awareness, my perspective, my spiritual life, my prayer life. Everything just changed for the better. Um, so diabolical obsession, then you have diabolical oppression. This is where the demons can attack you from the outside, kind of mess with your life, mess with electronics, plumbing, your car, mm -hmm. your job, your relationship, finances, just just drive you crazy. And that can happen to holy people or evil people. There's different reasons why that would happen. Everything, all of these things, which is important to note, happen only because our Lord lets them happen. And he only lets things happen if he can bring a greater good from it. So he uses the demons, their hatred for us. He uses it against them because if we react properly, we will become holier as a result of going through these sufferings. Uh, so after oppression, um, you have so home infestation that again it's not a stage it's not that'll be next yeah. or anything but that can happen from curses to good people or from bringing in a cult or cursed items into your home if you are practicing the occult or living in mortal sin pornography things like that can bring about this uh, home infestation again it's it's rare but it happens what about allowed uh, by our Lord. what about horror movies and stuff like that would that be um one you mentioned pornography and that uh, hadn't connected the dot. So I'm curious. Yeah, I have, I don't think uh, horror movies would cause lead to a home infestation okay. just in themselves. It can be tied to a curiosity of, of death demons mm -hmm. and the occult. And that curiosity can be an open door, especially if you're watching a horror movie and you're constantly living in a state of mortal sin. Yeah. Those two, and then an openness internally to 
to demons telling you things or a, a deep curiosity, that could do it, uh, especially if there's a cursed item in your home or, uh, or something. It seems to be like an, an additional trigger is necessary. Yeah, there's a, a legalism, um, a lot of legal requirements that in the spiritual world, which is really fascinating. Um, demons are only allowed to do certain things. They can't do certain things unless you know we sin. We have to give them permission. They need permissions to do things. Um, so then you have uh, possession and subjugation. Subjugation is just a pact. If you make a pact with the with the devil, most people don't do that. But it is tied up in the occult, and uh, the occult is skyrocketing. So people are going to be inadvertently making pacts with demons, thinking that they're just ancient deities, and this is an alternate form of of a religion. So that's a big worry right now. Um, exorcists have expressed uh, um, grave concerns about the number of people going into the occult, witchcraft, Wicca, all forms. I'm doing a lot of research on that right now. Um, but possession, possession is, again, it's, it's rare. It, it happens by God's permission as a result of mortal sin, um, a curse, or um, even abuse. 80%, one exorcist said 80% of people who come to him um, 80% of his cases are people who have been abused in one form or another, but that abuse causes a deep wound. And it's not the wound that causes the possession. It's the wound that pushes the people away from God and towards um, like uh, witchcraft, towards palm readers, uh, mediums, towards alternate forms of finding healing. And those things are open doors or deep into sin because they despair. Yeah. So there are a lot of things we do when we're wounded that lead us to, to grave sin. Um, so possession has to be, a combination of a lot of evil things. Like you're living in a state of mortal sin. Someone curses you. You do something with the occult. You invite a demon into your house or your life. Um, and then God allows it. That's the final ingredient. The demons have told exorcists that they have requested to possess people. And God has said no. Um, hmm. Because it's just up to him. Which I, I thought was, that was one of the big aha moments. That it's, the demons are not, I used to think that demons were, I used to be afraid of demons. Prior to doing all this research, there was a fear, an unhealthy fear of demons. I oh. thought they were these wild spiritual monsters that had no restrictions. That last part, they are wild spiritual monsters, but they are very restricted. That's the key. And I did not understand that. And when I heard that, I'm like, wow, like, uh, I feel a lot safer now in this world, yeah. knowing that God has the demons under control. Oh, great. No, I appreciate you sharing that with us. Yeah, and I, you, you kind of um, hinted at this a little bit, um, and a, but I think it's a point that's worth making, that there can be an unhealthy fascination with this stuff, um, both with the occult or with uh, the negative dimension of mm -hmm. the spiritual realm, but I, there could also be potentially a um unhealthy fascination just with uh exorcisms and things like that things that are inherently good in themselves but mm -hmm. we contemplate them to such a degree that um either it leads to as you mentioned like a great fear of mm -hmm. um the spiritual world and when you know god has not given us the spirit of fear um or it could lead to just a, a general fascination with the demonic. And mm -hmm. I think this is an important point because the saints talk about how, um, or and philosophers too, it's not just not just the saints in, in, of the church, but also philosophers talk about when we kind of, at a spiritual level, commune with what you contemplate. Mm -hmm. the, your soul participates in kind of the essence of something that you meditate on deeply. Mm -hmm. So I guess what I'm, I'm interested in your perspective and maybe some of the exorcists that you've interviewed or talked to, like, how do we maintain a healthy balance here? Um, how can we be, have our eyes wide open to what's going on in the spiritual realm, the dangers that are inherent in certain behaviors and certain um, uh, intentions and things like that, sins and, but also not live in fear, walk in confidence. And you've mentioned this to, to some degree, but I'd love to hear like a fuller development of that idea. Like how can we know what's going on, be wise as serpents, but innocent mm -hmm. as doves, so to speak, um, and not lose our spiritual peace as we start learning about that. Cause I, I can attest too that there's been times when I've gotten really into this like <laughs> fascination with, with uh, exorcisms and demons and stuff and I, to the point where I, like 
I couldn't sleep at night, you know, it was just uh, like, you know, I'm going to get assaulted in my sleep by some demonic force or something. And like, uh, you know, you got her clinging your holy water bottle. No, I'm, I'm exaggerating, but you know, you don't know the point. Uh, so I'd love your thoughts on that. Yeah. There's, uh, I, um, I think it was father Ripperker in one of his talks, he said that I'll, I'll mess it up. It's not exactly what he said, but like he'll finish an exorcism and then he'll, he said, I'm not going to let the demon steal my joy. After an exorcism, I'm going to go home and have my pipe and my scotch, and I'm going to enjoy it. So it's, and that's an exorcist who like sees the manifestations and like these demons growling at him and threatening to kill him in, ver- in a variety of ways. And he's just like, ah, whatever, you know, I'm going to go have my scotch and my pipe now, you know, you go away. So that's the kind of like almost flippancy we should have um, towards the diabolical. There's one, um, I think it was a documentary on an exorcist who trained in Rome and the portrayal, so he was training under another exorcist. And the portrayal was that um, for a day, he would sit there for like eight hours and all these different cases would come in. And then at one point he was sitting in the room and the possessed person was in a chair. And then the exorcist, uh, the phone rang, the phone rang in the exorcist's office or in the kitchen from around from the room. And the exorcist just stopped in the middle of the exorcism and went and got the phone and just like started talking to somebody of his on the phone. And the, the training exorcist priest was just like, what is, what is he doing? Like I'm all alone with this possessed person. He's just like laughing over there in the kitchen on the phone. And, but he was used to it. He understands what demons can and cannot do. So I think, I think when exorcists talk, we have to listen to everything they say, because they say things like that, which really should just put us at ease because like me, sometimes I wonder what people think about me. Like most of the time I'm not thinking about spiritual warfare because I've like, I've read it, I've applied it, I've done it. My house is decked out with sacramentals and I'm doing my best to be holy. And now I, I can just relax. The demons can still come after me. So I rarely experience anything. I think God is protecting me because I need God to protect me. Um, but but like you were saying, the more we dwell on something, so I don't dwell on this stuff. I'm always reading books by exorcists and watching talks and doing research, reading articles. Like it's not, it's not the pretty stuff uh, of the world. I'm not studying flowers and, you know, birds migration and just like fluffy stuff, but I'm not obsessed with it. I spend time with my kids. So I think a balance is key. We have to make sure we don't get out of balance. Some of the normal virtues. So I spend time with my kids, my wife, I, I don't obsess over my work. Um, I surrender it to God. So living in divine providence, um, I think, so I think a lot of things like that, if, if that's answering, I just stay balanced. Don't get obsessed. Realize this is like, I don't pretend that I'm resolving the spiritual conflict of the cosmos by my work and my books, because I'm just, you know, one of God's servants. This is his work. This is the church's work. It's much too big for me. So, so I think that's one thing. Like we've all been watching the church go through a lot of grave struggles and there have been times where I've realized, like, I've been trying to figure it out. And I've realized, no, this is too big for me. I, I'm going to surrender to Christ. He's in charge of this. is his church. This is his work. I'm going to take care of my soul and tend to what I'm responsible for, which is my, my family, my relationship with God, and my work. And, and that's it. Like, as long as I'm focused on that, I'll have grace within me. And as, I const- as, as long as I don't give up, I persevere, persevere, then I'll be at peace. And um, so I'm not sure if that completely answers how to avoid the uh, the fear, stay balanced, and uh, things like that. We can continue with that if you had a follow up. No, no, I, that 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 does address that. And I think what you mentioned about kind of having a flippant attitude towards <laughs> the demonic is 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 really important. I think the I think fear gives the enemy power. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. The more afraid. I mean, I remember. Uh, reading about you know different saints like saint Teresa of avila or like um, even saint john vianney more a little more recently like being attacked by demons and like <laughs> shit I, I remember reading a story about saint Teresa of avila i don't know remember where i read it but she like she woke up in the middle of the night and like this demon was like you know cracking his whip and like throwing fire around and stuff and she's like Oh, it's just you. And she just rolled over and went right back to bed. Like no big deal, you know, <laughs> like, and, and the demon couldn't do anything like, because she wasn't scared of him. And, that's right. and, um, and so I, I think that's a really key point. Yeah. I actually have that story in my book and I, I've like hunted all over the place and asked people like, where's the story coming from? But I, it's just being handed down. I don't know where it's documented, but it, it, it's true. Like it's, it's real. The way I wrote it in my book was that she thought God was there. 
and she was intimidated. She was a little afraid because God had manifested or whatever it was. Um, and she's humble. So she had a little hu humble fear of God. But when she rolled over and looked and saw it was the devil, she's like, oh, okay. Like you said, it's just you. And she went back to sleep. Yeah. <laughs> she didn't have any bad dreams. She just went back to bed. And um, and then like St. John Vianney, he had a nickname for the devil. Was it the Grapper? I think. Yeah. Just, like I, I, I can't remember what it was, but. Just very dismissive yeah. of of his power, of his presence. Like, okay, you're here. And Padre Pio, I mean, gets beaten up by the devil all the time. and. Um, just moved on, just kept with his life. Like this is just, he's just there, but he can't, he can't destroy his soul. He can't do more than God allows. Um, there was the time when Padre Pio rebuked his guardian angel though. I remember that because the guardian angel was there and wouldn't stop the devil from beating him up. And <laughs> like, I would never yell at my guardian angel, but Padre Pio knows more than I do. Yeah. <clears throat> wow. A lot of really great things. Uh, you know, I know for me, and I appreciate Sam mentioning a little bit about your testimony, I know that I've struggled with curiosity when I get too in depth into reading the stories of exorcisms, right? Like, and mm -hmm. how the demon manifested himself and, and how, you know, and you, I get overly uh, infatuated with, with these stories. And I know for me personally, I have to remove myself from them. They actually, even in reading your book, um, I skipped over a number <laughs> of the stories because I know that about myself from previous um situations that um that that is an occasion for me of of curiosity and um and then and then that fascination um you know i give too much attention to and therefore you know give more power to which um which we want to avoid and actually one thing else that you're triggering is just us as men right we have we've talked about custody eyes many times on this show but we've not really talked about a lot about custody of the senses and custody of the mind right and we do have that mm -hmm. obligation as men you know in, in controlling um these but i want to shift just a little bit because i know we're coming up on an hour and we're fine going a little bit over an hour, but I want to talk about our lady um, with, within this. I want to make sure we, we have time because it was um, you actually uh, who used the words, you know, complete coercive control. And I know that that resonated with um, the deliverance prayer book at the very opening where, where father Ripperger talks about, you know, turning to our lady of sorrows and that, um, mm -hmm you know, that she'll protect us from any diabolical tax of any kind. Um, and I'd love you to talk a little bit more about uh, the the uh, complete coercive control <laughs> that Our Lady has over demons and how we as men and uh, and, and if women are listening um, can turn to Our Lady for, for that protection. Yeah, and I, I think, um, was it called perfect coercive power? Okay, I think great. is what Father, Father, Ripper, uh, Father Ripperger um, puts it yeah that uh, and the saints um <clears throat> so it's not just one of the things about my book that i i think i, I i'm glad i did i'm glad i was inspired followed it followed the inspiration of the holy spirit to do is to bring in a lot of the doctors of the church so it's not just exorcists it's, it's popes and doctors of the church so much corroboration from them in their teachings as doctors of the church with to what the exorcists are telling us is real from their own experiences and i think that's key it's not just we're taking the word of the exorcists so um saint bonaventure saint alfonso Ligori, saint louis de montfort though he's not a doctor i don't know why he's uh, quoted yeah, he like be. he's a doctor yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah maybe one day yeah. we need to start a, a campaign for, for his amen uh, <laughs> that's right that's how a lot of them start people push for it um but they are always taught all these things i wish i had it um it's scattered throughout the book i think it's in chapter 10 a lot as well because our lady is one of the resources to protect our spiritual lives but they talk they go on and on and on about how the demons cannot tolerate a glance from our lady any word any command from our lady they actually fear her more than they fear god mm. not because she's stronger or as strong but because she's a creature who has more power than they do. She's a creature that God has given the authority to bind them in every way possible. And they hate being defeated by her because she's a, a humble, she's humble. They're proud. She's a creature, a, a human creature, and they're angelic. And they think um, that they're better than everything human. Uh, so she just, it's insulting. I think it's, it adds injury to insult or insult to injury, whatever the expression is. Yeah, That's why they yeah. hate her more. So, um, and then that that vision I explained from, I think it was Father Ripperger's uh, testimony from a case where they had a vision of Our Lady coming in and just destroying the devil immediately. And then that's why, like the rosary, you go back to the, to the doctors of the church, like St. Dominic, all the way back to him, the, how powerful the rosary is. St. Louis de Montfort and Padre Pio, it is the weapon against the enemy. 
And then you see exorcists saying the same thing, like Father uh, it, Monsignor Rossetti in a recent interview uh, about four months ago, closer to Halloween, uh, said that he and his team uh, that help him, they never, one of the things they, they do, like two to three holy hours a day, go to confession every week, and they never go anywhere without a rosary, praying mm-hmm. it constantly, but they never travel anywhere without the physical rosary because it's a blessed, it's a sacramental if it's blessed uh, by a priest, because it 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 is so powerful because this is the rosary, the way of prayer that Our Lady gave us to invoke her, to contemplate the divine mysteries, sacred mysteries, yeah. and she's promised so many graces through it. So she's promised, like she's promised graces through um, what is it, the uh, Our Lady of Sorrows, the chaplet to Saint Bridget, oh, yeah. and uh, I think to someone else. Like she's given so many, and the scapular, scapular, uh, the chaplet of Our Lady of Sorrows, the rosary all backed up by promises that the church has approved because Our Lady makes no mistakes and she always verifies these things with with miracles, uh, the miraculous medal. Uh, and all these things are used. Like the sacramentals like the medals, St. Benedict medal, St. the miraculous medal are used by exorcists um, in exorcism, but, but also given to us to use in our spiritual lives. Like when I say my house is decked out with, with sacramentals, like some of these medals, we have a rosary everywhere, holy water everywhere, a blessed... Um, St. Benedict medals everywhere, uh, miraculous medal, um, anywhere we can as well, because these are things that have been demonstrated by miracles to be willed by God and given to us for um, our sanctification. So, so it's, um, and you can see like with the interior, interior healing process I did, it was, is bound up with Our Lady, yeah. um, the, the extra rosary, the Our Lady Undoer of Knots, Novena. So she is, and who is it? I think St. Alphonsus Liguori or someone else said that if you don't have a devotion, a devotion to Our Lady is a sign of predestination, essentially. Yeah. If you love Our Lady, that's a sign that you are you are headed to heaven. God has protected you because anyone devoted to Our Lady will be saved is the way the doctors of the church speak. And then, um, yeah, so yeah, and then I know I appreciate that. Out. And it's yeah, it's so great for you to, to comment on that distinction that like it it causes more, I, I don't know if pain is the right word, to demons uh, to to be controlled and to be uh, directed by Our Lady than God himself because of their pride. And they know that God created them, but Our Lady did not. And uh, and that's really a, a very powerful statement. So, Yeah, and you mentioned pain, too. And that's, that's what exorcists say, which is one of the shocking things. <clears throat> The, the right of exorcism and all these spiritual things do cause pain to demons. Like they can feel some kind of pain, however it works. And they'll cry out in agony like when she's there, when they're speaking in authoritatively. Um, and even Father Ripperger in a recent talk, I never finished it, but he was explaining that, that we cause the demons pain when we are doing these spiritual warfare practices as well and using sacramentals. So it's not just in the right of exorcism. It's when anyone increases in holiness and does things that repel the demons, it hurts them. Um, yeah, so, and, and one of, kind of a side note, but interesting one, uh, I talked to a, someone who left the occult and they were explaining how they noticed, because they got pretty deep in it, they noticed that when they converted to the, to the faith, the demons started to attack them and they could tell, I don't know how exactly, that the demons were hurting because the demon had lost them because while they were in the occult, they were damned. And then the demon's like, I gotcha, you. you're coming to hell with me. And all of a sudden they joined the church and the demon's like, what are you doing? And then get the demon got furious, attacked them, but also demonstrated somehow that they were in pain at having lost this person. And exorcists will back that up saying that demons suffer from abuse from other demons if they lose a possession case on this on earth. Wow. And uh, so that's fascinating. fascinating. Yeah. Yeah, so um, as far as, you know, I've given a lot of talks on spiritual warfare and um, how do you kind of um, apply these these truths and, uh, and stories and, and um, sacramentals that the church has given us and things like that, how to kind of bring it all down to the ground level. But if you were just kind of to leave us with some um, practical advice or one thought that that really from all your research all your reading all your interviews and learning and on this topic like what would you leave our listeners with the men listening to this who uh, might be thinking like you know again like maybe i've maybe i 
see this this influence in my life, this demonic influence, or or different periods in my life. Or, um, but I really want to strive for holiness. I really want mm-hmm. to uh, fight these powers. Um, so just just leave us with something that uh, people can um, apply to their lives. Yeah, so there's, there's so much when you were talking, I started to uh, I, I kind of tell my mind to, to find the best thing, ask the Holy Spirit for. And what came to me was something that I struggled with um, during my discernment for the priesthoods. This would have been 16 years ago. And I went through this uh, crisis of faith where I wanted to just jettison everything. It was about six years after my conversion. And one of the things I realized was that I had lost a supernatural, supernatural vision of life. I no longer cared about whether God really existed, whether angels or demons or saints or heaven. I was, it wasn't a conscious rejection. It was just off the radar. I was so distracted by other things that I pract- I was a practical, not a practical atheist, but you know that expression from Pope Benedict. Mm-hmm. I was practically a materialist. And I realized, I'm like, oh, this, that, that is, that is uh, very dreadful. So what I was thinking was to, to renew and even ask, ask them our Lord. So develop a devotion to the most sacred heart of Jesus, asking our, our Lord to purify and give you, give you or purify in you a supernatural vision of life. So that you see that what you are is not a mere creature, material thing, but you are destined to be a glorious, glorified saint in heaven, enjoying the vision of God in the company of the angels and the saints and Our Lady uh, for eternity. That, that this is just a step along the way, and if you have that the always looking up kind of attitude, then you will not be distracted by all the snakes crawling on the ground, so to speak. <laughs> to kind of round out that image, but a supernatural vision, I think is what, what we need to make sure we have. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, um, there's quite a few, um, Catholics. It's, it's just kind of an infection in, in the church, not through necessarily any fault of our own at times, but just the culture is just constantly wearing against that supernatural vision of life. It's, constantly trying to reinforce the idea that this is all there is mm-hmm. have your best life now have the nicest yeah. house the nicest car the most comfortable life you can make as much money as you can get the respect of people around you and like just you know i've, I've cited this statistic many times because i think it's just so illustrates this so powerfully but you know the average american sees four to six thousand advertisements a day and each one of those advertisements is promising us happiness in the here and now. Just just get this one thing and you'll be like this smiling, happy person in their beautiful home. You'll be just like them. And so I think that's a really wonderful prayer that we should all adopt is to recover that supernatural vision of life. You know, when you're in Walmart surrounded by fluorescent lights and tiles, it's hard to remember that the spiritual world is real. Yeah. It's like kind of steals a little bit of our soul every time we go into these desacralized places, so to speak, that 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 drain any sense of the supernatural. Mm-hmm. But um, that doesn't mean the spirit, supernatural has ceased to exist. It's just it's um, it erodes our faith in it. And so we need to constantly be praying for that, those lenses, that, that awareness of another dimension that is very real. Yeah, Charles, thank you so very much for your yes um, to writing this book and to joining us on this podcast. Um, We want to take a moment here and and let you um, uh, tell our listeners where they can learn more about you, things that we're going to put in the show notes, uh, which are, I know you got a couple websites and and other um, books and things like that. So why don't you take a moment and and let us know where we can continue to find more and digest more of the great work that you're doing. Sure, sure. So I have um, <clears throat> I have my uh, business website, as I call it, theretreatbox.com. We sell uh, Catholic products, but I also have all my books there, and I sell those myself. So if you want a book signed, for example, you can just put a little note in the order. I sometimes have sales, so some of the books are cheaper there than they are on Amazon. All the books are on Amazon, too. Um, but then my my blog where I write, I don't write as much right now, but you can see I have a, lots of articles already there because I'm working on a couple more books and that's more important. Yeah. Um, but that's the, the slaying dragons book.com is the website. 
Then I'm also on Twitter and Facebook under my name, Charles D. Franny. You can find me there. I'm more active on Twitter. Um, but I have a, a new book, too. Um, it's it's um, called Slaying Dragons, Prepare for Battle, Applying the Wisdom of Exorcists to Your Spiritual Warfare. It's a, a workbook, spiritual warfare manual, uh, companion book, study guide. I'm not sure exactly how to put it. It's mm-hmm. um, 260 pages, lots of resources. You can go on Amazon and find it, look at the table of contents and see what it's kind of about. And get, they give you a preview of the first like 10 pages. Um, but I sell on my website too. That's a new one. And I'm working on several new books. So say a prayer for, yeah. for my work. Um, and if you are feeling generous and want to support my work, this is a full-time thing. You can find me on uh, Patreon, find links to me on Patreon. And, um, and I have, I've named it the, the slaying dragons apostolate. So if you Google the slaying dragons apostolate, I have a YouTube thing, which has very little on it. I don't have time to make videos yet. Um, but uh, yeah. I'm out there. So Google my name and, slaying dragons and you'll find all the different places where i am excellent no thank you so very much and i know that uh uh yes uh charles can use your prayers his apostle can use your prayers and the catholic gentleman can use your prayers and and all of us three here as we're going to um release this video um you can can use your prayers so so please continue (laughs) to provide us with those uh most important well wonderful well, thank you, Charles. I'm grateful for you being here and uh, you'll be in our prayers. And as we like to end every episode, Sam. Be a man, be a saint. Mm-hmm.